Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Happy New Year to everybody and a blessed Epiphany season this Monday, January the 10th. We gather this next hour around the inspired and true Word of God, and we look to Christ as my favorite Epiphany hymn says, The Lamb is the light of the city of God. Shine in my heart, Lord Jesus. Um, hymn number 411 in our uh, Lutheran service book. And for us, we remember this as the light shines on us today from Matthew chapter 8. We have concluded the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus gets to work healing the leper, the centurion's servant, and Peter's mother-in-law, and many others. Clearly, Jesus is fulfilling what is said in Isaiah 53. But a good question for us is, what does this mean for today? It's great to read. It's great to understand. But there are a lot of riches for us to dig into today, and we will find out more as we look to Christ, for the gifts are ready, ready for you. It's been quite the transition getting back into this new year, and I realized that Friday, as I mentioned, on Friday was my year anniversary with you. And as KFUO was Christ for you anytime, anywhere, I want to bring back something that I did when I started. I know we have listeners from all over the world, so I want to hear from you. Where are you listening from? Are you listening from a different country, a different state? Even if you've called in or, or sent in a message before, send it in again. So how long have you been listening? Where are you listening um, from? So send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo, kfuo.org. Or you can go to the KFUO app and use the open mic option that is right there on there. Give us a message where you're listening from and how long you've been a KFUO listener. But, as, but today, we're here to hear the Word of God. So helping us to be strengthened by God's Word, we welcome the Reverend Todd Niebling, pastor of St. John Lutheran Church in Oxnard, California. Pastor Niebling, happy Epiphany and welcome to Thy Strong Word. Happy Epiphany to you. It's good to be here. Pastor Niebling, you are, this is the first time I've had this, is uh, your church, St. John Lutheran Church in Oxnard, uh, California, is our Church of the Week. So thanks be to God for your support of KFUO. And so I wanted to, you know, it's our first time together. So can you spend a few minutes telling us about yourself, your family, and the gospel ministry of St. John? Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's great to be here, and it's great to have the, the opportunity to be a Church of the Week on KFUO. Uh, I am married to a wonderful woman named Sarah, and we've been, we've been married since 2003. Uh, we, we Lutheran Valley Retreat in Colorado. Uh, I used to, I like to say that we were making uh, googly eyes at each other and ignoring our kids, uh, our campers <laughs> that we were supposed to be in charge of. But um, it all worked out. Everyone was safe and okay. And uh, we've we've been married since 2003, and we have four wonderful kids: uh, Samson and Wilhelmina. And they're all ages 11, 10, 7, and 4. It's hard to, or 5. And it's hard to remember those things. Isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and we we are new to St. John's Oxnard, but excited to be here. Uh, St. John's Oxnard is a congregation, been around since 1900. And, uh, but though it's a congregation steeped in history, it is always ready and open to, to what God is calling them into. New adventures, new journeys. And, and he's brought together a loving and, and beautiful group of people here. And we're excited to be a part of it. So we're a little bit fresh here. We got here in the fall. And uh, I recently served out in uh, the Antelope Valley in California in the, in the desert, Lancaster and Palmdale, California, uh, where I planted a church out there called The Well. 
and now we are uh, we're we're out here. The Lord called us here. We're a little bit closer to the beach, which is a lot of fun. Uh, and and this is a diverse community. There are um, a number of uh, pockets of immigrant communities: Filipino and and uh, Mexican and Guatemalan uh, and and uh, Japanese and and from many other walks of life. And so it's a it's a beautiful melting pot. We are uh, in Ventura County, uh, just a stone's throw from Central Park, and, as well as Los Angeles, so from the city center. So it's a it's a beautiful place, and and we're excited to see how God's kind of steering this congregation in new directions. Um, and but but obviously with with the gospel at its center, uh, with Christ at at its center, rooting us um, in in His mission and in His love and in His way. So. Uh, that 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 is me in a nutshell, and um, I'm also a St. Louis Cardinals fan, so I'll throw that in there too. <laughs> it's yeah. usually it's usually what happens when a St. Louis person gets on the air. Ah, all yes, of a sudden, I was yep. born and raised in St. Louis, too, so yeah, you could, you could put that in there proudly. Uh, High school, yeah. Just a, a side note. Um, is that, as I've talked about, my daughter is at school at St. Paul Lutheran High School in Concordia, Missouri, and it is Pastor Niebling's father-in-law It was is her teacher in science. So we're thankful for all the connections you see in ministry, school and church and mission around the world and the family connections. So watch out what you say about people because they might be related. So thanks be to God for that. Exactly. Right. Exactly. It's a small Lutheran world, but it it's, is. A, it's a beautiful it is. Yeah. So shout out to your father-in-law. Make sure he listens to this program and thanks be to God for his work at St. Paul Lutheran High School. Reminder to our listeners as well that if you are interested in being Church of the Week, there's many opportunities to promote your congregation and her ministry. Uh, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, or give us a call, 314-821-0850, 314-821-0850. Now, Pastor, we're here looking at Matthew chapter 8, getting done with Sermon on the Mount, and as we'll be blessed by the Holy Spirit today, can you begin our time and ask for his blessing in prayer? Absolutely. I'd be honored to. And, and one of the things that, that I uh, have been doing for, for a season in life now has been trying to use the Psalms as much as possible to shape my prayers, especially when I approach God's Word or coming out of approaching God's Word, uh, because they uh, it's the prayer book of Scripture. And so when you don't quite have the words to say, God, God can help us out with that. So I, I want to use a, a little bit of a slightly augmented version of Psalm 95. And uh, we'll start at verse three, but let's let's pray and, and ask for God's help as we approach His word. Lord, you are a great God and a great King above all gods. In your hands are the depths of the earth; the heights of the mountains are yours also. The sea is yours, for you made it. Your hands. Lord, we come, we bow down, we kneel before you, our Maker. You are our God, and we are the people of your pasture, the sheep of your hand. So today, may we hear your voice and not harden our hearts. So please guide us and encourage us all through your word. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, Pastor, we are at Matthew chapter 8. And as you look at Matthew chapter 8, everything's in a context. So give it, how do you want to start us off as we look at, really, I mean, our verses today, which is 1 through 17, I mean, it's, it's a direct change from the teaching, but boy, there's a lot packed in there. So how do you want to start us off on the right foot? 
there, there is. Uh, we're coming off the Sermon on the Mount. And so the best way to understand when you approach a text like this is, is as you said, put it in context. What else is kind of happening around it? Who's, who's saying this? Who are they saying it to? These are all helpful questions. And if we back up just a little bit, we can understand kind of what Matthew's movement is and what his intention is. So if we, we, we can look at the Sermon on the Mount and say, okay, everything that he just taught, everything that he just was speaking about is going to kind of come into play here. Uh, maybe not specifically, but, but when we meet up the themes, we'll see that there. Uh, but the, really the attention that, that I kind of want us to draw to is just before the Sermon on the Mount. So if you look at the end of chapter four in your Bibles, and, and just at the very end of chapter four, what we see is that Jesus was healing great crowds. He was performing miracles. And each of these miracles, they're not only displays of uh, his, his divinity and his authority. It, it is that. We're going to talk a lot about authority today, I know, mm-hmm. uh, with Jesus. But we also get to see that, that Jesus is, is keying you and I in on something uh, about what he is doing in our lives. And the other, the other aspect to key in on before we get into this is, you know, talking about the Sermon on the Mount, you, you can't talk about it without using the Beatitudes to help shape the understanding of, of all the rest of it. So when we look at the Beatitudes, uh, you know, whether it be blessed or the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, those who mourn, for theirs is the comfort. When we look at that, uh, and, and I'm sure that this has been um, said in, in many a congregation and in many a radio show, that it's kind of a, like a little bit of a gateway. It's, it's the door that helps you understand the Sermon on the Mount. But it's even going to kind of show you the heart of Jesus as we approach Matthew chapter 8. So to bookend this sermon with those healings and to bring in those stories. And, and it makes sense not only chronologically, but it's going to make sense thematically. And, and we'll, we'll explore some of those things here. Uh, as we get into it, but but especially keep an eye on, you know, that, that this is nothing new, but Matthew is around uh, basically the Sermon on the Mount or even the Beatitudes themselves and that, that message of the gospel for those who are hurting and those who are weak. And, and he's going to, Jesus is in a sense uh, going to embody, you know, he's going to practice what he preaches. <laughs> so that's what we're kind of getting into. You know, the rubber's good. And, and this is Not where... Waxing eloquent. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And this is where I verse first comes to mind for me is Matthew, the Beatitudes. And I love how you brought it back to that because there is a tendency to go to Matthew five, go to the Beatitudes and say, okay, that's over with. Now let's get to the, let's get to real, the real deal here, you know, is Matthew five, five really sticks out to me. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Just that understanding of the people he's dealing with are the meek, the lowly, of of society and he's dealing with those individuals and reminding them not only of the healing now but the final healing that will happen at the resurrection that's what first comes to mind anything else you want to highlight from beatitudes as you said it's a doorway even to chapter eight you know i i think that as we look at it as well you know we we can also um take a note from when he encourages us to ask you know he encourages us to ask and it will be given to us that he for us is good thing. Uh, so so always that he's bent toward us and not against us. So we see that come up in, in, in the middle of chapter 7, uh, especially when he says in verse 7, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it, the door will be opened. So in, in that regard, 
in. Um, but even all these other things, loving your enemies and giving to the needy, um, these themes will, and being a light as well. So all these themes that he presented are, um, are, are going to be embodied. They're going to be practiced. So we're going to get a glimpse, not, um, not just of live, how we're to behave. Because I think sometimes we take the Sermon on the Mount and say, oh, here's a list of ways to, to do God's things in our life. But, but there's a little bit more than that because Jesus is inviting us into his kingdom, right? And he's, he's bringing us into a new reality. He's kind of flipping the script on what we think, how we think life should be and how we should treat the people around us and how he is treating us and the people around us too. And so all of this interaction, we, we get to see what the kingdom of God is really looking like. So, so we're looking backwards, but, you know, I, I would also like to say we're looking way forward too. Because mm-hmm. we're getting a Revelation 21 sort of stuff. You know, the very end of the Bible, uh, we get an image of Jesus uh, making all things new, where he's, you know, wiping away every tear, he's healing, he's comforting, he's forgiving finally and fully. So w- we want to have our eyes there as well when we see appetizer of that. We'll call it that. We're getting a little hors d'oeuvre of the second coming. I love it. A foretaste of the feast to come in some sense. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. So I'm ready to begin. You ready? I'm ready. All right. So we are reading from the English Standard Version of Scripture. Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8, and we'll go through the first four verses. When he, Jesus, came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. So the Sermon on the Mount is done. He's walked down. Big crowds are following him. And then what happens? He, the, the crowds continue to follow him. So what we see is, is that notion of following is, is important because that's, that's really what the invitation was to be a disciple. So we can see that, that these people are just physically following him around because he just preached a great sermon and he has an entourage. You know, there's, there's a little bit more. I think I, I would even suggest that these people are considering like literally following him. And, and being his disciple, he just earlier in chapter four of Matthew, you know, Jesus calls his disciples and see that notion of following coming up. But here in this story, there is someone who isn't satisfied with being in the crowd. It, he takes it one step further. He's not he's not a fan. He's not just attracted to, you know, the kind of uh, maybe the, the, the noise of the crowd and the he stands out, and this man is a leper. He's a natural outcast of, of, the, uh, of the society. So what we, we can learn a lot about lepers from the Old Testament. It's, it's a real broad term, so it's important to know. It, it doesn't just uh, relate to one specific disease. So it's a term that's used for specifically skin diseases. Uh, but these people who, who had these various skin diseases, they were generally uh, cons- cast out of society. And they kind of had to live on their own uh, because they were considered, in some cases, to be contagious. But more so, they were considered to be unclean. Mm. So they 
if you touched them, then you were considered to be unclean. And it, in a sense, kind of, you know, tainted you and made you unholy and unrighteous. And you had to go through this whole uh, ritual of cleansing in order to be, to be clean again. So, uh, but this, this man comes forward and he, he bows down, kind of kneels down, it says. And this isn't necessarily an act of worship. Uh, it, it's a little bit different than even what you see with the Magi. Uh, earlier in chapter two of Matthew, uh, but this is—it's a sign of respect. It's a sign of reverence, and and this man comes forward and he hears. You can assume that that this is kind of the same, you know, group of people that that he that he either was in the crowd that heard the Sermon on the Mount, or uh, he was hearing the scuttlebutt, <laughs> you know, of right. this crowd that was yeah. coming down the mountain. So his reputation, uh, you know, is is kind of preceding him. So this man steps forward. What I find fascinating about this is he calls him Lord right away. Mm. Uh, that's a big term. I mean, this is uh, this is the this is the term that the disciples used for Jesus. They didn't use a lot of other phrases. They used Lord uh, when they like do it. And so we see this language of discipleship coming out, and we see this. You know, his you can't say, and we'll see this in the centurion even that like their faith wasn't fully formed. You know, it, we don't see them becoming literal disciples and this leper starts following them around everywhere, the 12. It's a little bit different, but mm-hmm. eager, and he has a posture before Jesus where he sees that Jesus is able to help him, that he's actually able to help. And Jesus is absolutely eager to do it. And he says, yeah, I, I will, absolutely. So go ahead and be clean. And uh, <laughs> touched him. So this is this is huge because this is uh, almost seen as a threat. Uh, if you're watching this happen, this would be astonishing. Like, why in the world would, would he touch him? You know, why would the world... You know, we, we live in a culture right now, right, as, as we're walking around dealing with COVID, we're aware of our personal space, right? And if someone is not wearing a mask and they're, they're coughing like crazy, we're like, whoa, wait a second. Like, I'm going to back up. And yeah. give you your room. Um, but here we see Jesus, is, he doesn't view this person and his ailment, his disease and his struggle as as a, a deterrent for him, as a threat to him. So he is, he's very willing. He even touches him. Now, typically this would make him unclean. And uh, there are probably a lot wiser scholars out there who could maybe dissect that moment. But I, I think what we can see is that in that touching, he is made clean. Mm. So this is really introducing a, uh, it, it, we don't get to see it fully, but it's introducing like that, the concept of uh, the vicarious life of Jesus, the vicarious atonement a, a little bit. Uh, we, we see this, this notion that will ultimately happen, beginning to happen where Jesus uh, takes on, he, he is holy and he takes on our sin right, and pain and suffering, and he gives us his holiness. He gives us his righteousness and, and, and life for our sake. And though we don't see him become a leper, you know, so we don't see that full, you know, which happened, but we see him touching and cleansing and, and healing this man. So tell us so, about this so, word you said, vicarious. What, what does that mean? You said a vicarious uh, life and, and how Jesus functions. Just describe that to us. That can be kind of a, a messy term. Yeah. 
the, the way that we tend to use it is always in a negative light. <laughs> you know, when, when a parent is trying to live vicariously through their kids and, and they're screaming on the sideline as if they're in the game or something like that. And they, they, they're, they're living a little bit too much in their, in their kids, but it, it is not entirely a negative concept. And so in the, this, this notion of vicarious atonement, yeah, it's a, it's a heady word uh, or phrase. So the, the, that term vicarious, it just means that he is living on our behalf and he lives a life that we can't live. You know, uh, mm-hmm. Hebrews 4 talks about this. Like, he understands our temptation. He understands our weakness. He enters into the flesh. He he becomes one of us and lives a life that we could never live because he was sinless and perfect and pure. And then he says, here you go. I'm going to exchange my life for yours And at, at the cross. And he gives us his life, and he gets stuck with ours and then he puts that to death he puts our our sin our pain and suffering our darkness into the grave and overcomes that for us because we can't we can't do it um so it's it's living on our behalf and so as we look at this the few things that really strikes me and, and that's why i love movies I, I tend to get most of my uh my thoughts from movies to be quite honest and there's a there's a um, a play down in Branson, Missouri. You're a Missouri guy, so down in Branson, yeah. they have this play live on stage, Jesus, and it captures this moment beautifully because I always think of Luke 17, where they're far off, which is what exactly you know Leviticus says: keep those guys away, keep those gals away. They have leprosy, keep them away. Leviticus 13, but and so they're far away. But in that play, which is also in a movie form, you see the vision of this leper coming. And everyone behind Jesus takes about 10 steps back. And as Jesus takes a step forward, Peter, or one of the disciples says, Lord, no, <laughs> what are you doing? And yeah. that's that captured it beautifully because you had this like gasp <gasps> as they walked away. And he stepped forward and then Jesus stepped forward to them. I think that captures this beautifully. And also the faith of this leper, although not probably not fully formed, which sometimes I wonder about my own faith at times so I can relate, that he says, Lord, if you will. So it's almost like he's already learned this Lord's Prayer, thy will be done. As as he steps to Jesus, Jesus steps towards him, and we see how the Lord's power and authority is manifested in mercy. So any thoughts on that or anything else in the first four verses? Well, I, I think that as as we consider this, you know, it, it's always important to, to see ourselves as one of the characters in the story that we're reading or in the, you know, the text that we're reading, uh, we're never Jesus, <laughs> uh, you know, whenever the God cares, God teaching us something about ourselves, uh, and maybe a couple of different ones in different ways. And here we, we should really see ourselves. Matthew wants us to see ourselves as a leper because his initial audience was primarily Jewish and they would have understood, the, uh, the sort of dangers that the both spiritual and physical that would, be happening here in this scene and and they would have been a little bit it would have been a bit of a suspense you know they're they'd be on the edge of their seat what what's going to happen what's going to do see that that in those times when we have done something that makes us uh an outcast and maybe there's something you know maybe maybe uh rejected by others because of our our age our uh, ethnicity our backgrounds or the things that we've done we see yeah, exactly what you said, Jesus stepping toward us mm. and, and helping us in our time of need. Um, and, and then also, you know, we can talk about 
it seems weird that Jesus would want us to say nothing after he heals us. So it's a peculiar thing. We see it happen in a couple other places. But it's worth noting uh, that we don't actually know why he says this. We've got some good ideas, uh, but we don't uh, really know. So the best reason that I can come up with as to why, and, and feel free and debate me on this, is uh, because I'm not 100% on it either. I'm just going to say this is a good direction, uh, is, is that he likely would have wanted to tell everyone about what happened to him. And Jesus is like, do not stop anywhere. Go straight to the priest because, right. he, you know, just to let you know, I'm the one who wrote all those Levitical laws in Leviticus chapter 13 and 14. <laughs> and they are good. And they're my word, and they're for you. So uh, we're going to abide by those laws because I made up, I made them up, and they're good. Uh, so do that, and do not, you know, pass go sort of thing. Don't stop on your way and start gabbing about this and get all prideful and showing off and then forget that you're too diligent to be proclaimed clean by a priest because that's a, that's an important part of it too. Oh, it's a huge part of it. Yeah, that he's one that Christ came to uh, fulfill the non-law, not get rid of the law. So like you said, this is his law. And so go to the priest. This is this is what will get you back into society. This will get you back to your family. This is what's going to prove that this healing was real, if you will. So he's following the law. At the same time, it's just like, uh, yeah, we're always left with that question. Why Why would Jesus ever tell people not to do this? So there's we, we're left with a, a big WDK. We just don't know. We don't know. But... Definitely, there's a vocational piece to this and mercy for this person that's there. And I'll say this, Pastor, is in ministry, I think that's the number one question people ask me. Why would Jesus tell people not to tell others? And so it, in every situation is unique. And Dr. Gibbs, in his commentary on this, talked about, yeah, there's there's a lot of questions marks on that. But look at all the times that he heals and he doesn't say that. You know, he heals and he doesn't. And he doesn't, he doesn't necessarily tell people to go tell people, but he also doesn't deny them from telling people either. So we're kind of left with a lot of unknowns on that. But I really like what you're saying is don't stop on the way. Go do this. And this is this is what the most important thing is for you, as, as I've called you to go to your family or live your life and live out your vocation, if I can say it that way, that that definitely well, is he, a good one. And he wants to be welcomed back into society. And right. there's only one way that can really happen. It's, it's through the means that he has established. And that is the Le- Levitical priesthood. Uh, but, you know, it, it, in all this, you know, and this is the other thing before we move on that I really want to hit this note because we see so much in, in any miracle of the authority of Jesus, his, his power, his divinity, and we see that. But uh, the, the thing that, that Matthew even wants to read, in this that Jesus repeats is the leper says if you will mm-hmm. and Jesus says I will it, and so we God here you know we also want to know what, what is God up to and we see that, that God's will is to help us and so u- uniquely as we need and so even that instruction I think was uniquely for that leper uh, and you know to help him <laughs> uh, but we also get this that, that the deed of Jesus always matches the need that we have. So the deed matches the need. It's something uh, we can always remember here. 
The deed matches the need. And I want to keep that as an interpretive key as we look at the next part with the centurion. But right now, we need to take our break. We are studying Matthew chapter 8 with Pastor Todd Niebling, and we'll be right back. This is the voice of a mother in the faraway country of Georgia, reading to her six-month-old son about Jesus from a Bible storybook written in the Georgian language. The child's Bible was given to her by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, and the Holy Spirit is working powerfully through your support of LHF to make events like these happen every day. Help another family learn of the Savior. Learn how at lhfmissions.org. And welcome back. We are studying Matthew chapter 8 with Pastor Todd Niebling of St. John Lutheran Church in Oxnard, California. And I wanted to say this to your listeners. We love hearing from where you are listening and how long you've been listening to KFUO. Whether it's Sharper Iron or the Coffee Hour or here in Thy Strong Word, send us an email. Tell us where you've been listening from and and also how long you've been listening to email us kfuo at kfuo.org. We did this last year when I started a year ago, which was on Friday, my one-year anniversary. And we heard from over 30 states and four different countries of people who are listening to Thy Strong Word here on KFUO. So let's do it again this year. Send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org. And here, we love to hear from the saints around the world. So Pastor, Pastor Niebling, as we look at Matthew chapter 8, I always like to ask this just to make sure Verses 1 through 4, anything else you want to highlight before we get to the centurion? Uh, of course, always. There, there is definitely a, a deeper dive we can do, but, but hopefully this is a little bit of seed planting and, and a lot to chew on as we go about our day for those first four verses. All right. Let's get to the rest of it, huh? Uh, let's get to it, yeah. So verses 5, and then we'll go through verse 9 of Matthew chapter 8. When he, Jesus, entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I am too a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes to my servant. Do this and he does it. So now a centurion enters enters the field here. Um, Jesus travels, and we hear another unique story and a request from the centurion. Where do, where do you want to start? Uh, well, you know, I think let's start with the character of the centurion. I, I think who is this person? You know, as we saw previously, the leper, we see someone who's outcast from society and who isn't welcomed uh, ritualistically and clean. Uh, and so on. And then here we get to see this centurion is, in a sense, representing the bad guy, <laughs> representing uh, the, the oppressor during Jesus's day, though he may not have been ethnically of Rome or European, likely, but he could have been, you know, from the Middle East a little bit more. But he uh, was Rome's man, and he represents the enemy. And we want to start there. And how do we engage with people that have hurt us, 
how do we engage with people who have wronged us? Uh, and, and how does God respond to people that we just don't care for and don't like all that much? And, and that's where we start this theme. Matthew wants us to engage that reality first. And so as we look at, yeah, he's kind of an, he's, he's definitely an outsider and he comes almost the same way as the, um, he comes the same way as a leper, just kind of comes to him and says, but he doesn't come for himself. He comes for somebody else, which I found fascinating. And, uh, and how would you, how would you describe that? And how do we look at that? Uh, as, as we're looking at, at him approaching Jesus. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, I mean, he's not know, coming for me. Is, is yeah. Right. Right. And, and so we see that, um, first of all, it's important to note, this is a little bit of a scene change. So we've, we've kind of moved a little bit in location and we don't necessarily have the vast crowds anymore, uh, but we still see that Jesus was, he was entering Capernaum and uh, we see it, that same sort of movement. Matthew wants us to link them uh, thematically, you know, with the leper and the centurion, that the leper stepped forward from the crowd and here the centurion steps forward from anybody else who's there. Uh, in order to approach Jesus. And he, above anybody, really knows how big of a deal that is, it seems. Because he understands uh, Jesus' authority is a, is a big thing in this little section here. Uh, and, and that's what he's, it, not entirely, but, but mainly even rooting his faith in Jesus off of and, and even saying that he has faith. And we'll get that to the next part. But uh, what we get to see here is, is I think, a wonderful connection as he approaches Jesus, and all he says is that, uh, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. There isn't a request in there at all. He just states the problem. Right. And and what what this brought to mind, for, for me anyway, was the story in, in Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son. When the son comes home, he's rehearsing, like he's ready to come up with his master plan of, you know, I'll be one of my father's servants, and I'll just you know, live in his, you know, uh, farm, his ranch and, and his property and be one of his higher hands. And he had this whole thing worked out, but the father didn't even let him speak. Didn't even let him say much of anything. And he just embraced him. So we see that Jesus anticipates the request. Even he knows what we're going to ask for. And he still wants us to ask. That's important. But he, he, steps forward and cares for us beyond even our, beyond even our lack of requesting. I think that's important to know because his response was, uh, I will come and heal him. You know, there isn't any like, and like, Oh yeah, I'll I'll be right over. (laughs) And that's, uh, you know, the centurion must've been a little dumbstruck at that point. Not knowing, like, whoa, I didn't even ask that, but that's exactly what I need, and that's exactly what what, what he needs, you know, his, his servant, because he's asking on his servant's behalf, uh, you know, that that this is, uh, you know, seeking the help for somebody else, which is which is good, you know. This also too, as we engage the spiritual life, we our prayers shouldn't only be about us; right. they should also be for others as well. Others need our prayers. Uh, and even if we feel like an outsider, like we don't belong, like the centurion, you know, that, that this may be a new thing for us, praying, uh, maybe a new thing, just faith in Jesus. 
he wants to hear our prayers and he actually understands it. Even if we haven't been considering him one hour of our life beyond the very present moment. And what's really fascinating is there's a transition. So he's like, Hey, my servants lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. Jesus instantly says, I will come and heal him. And that tells you about something. Um, there's a transition there, but I want to highlight this. It's much like if you go to a friend and I've done this before, go to a friend or go to somebody and say, you know what, having this problem with whatever. And, you know, usually for me, I'm not a handy guy. So you go to that friend and just say, okay, I'm having a problem with this. And they say, before you even can request them to come over, they said, I'll be right over. And unfortunately, I can't be that friend to you. And I couldn't have been that friend to you during <laughs> seminary to fix anything. But I'm just saying, when someone is like that, or like someone, I know um, I've had pastors and others that you call them, and the moment you say, this person's in the hospital, they say right away, I'll be right over. Those kind of moments, yeah. you know at that moment that that person cares about you. You know that there's a relationship there that's beyond any. And here's a guy who doesn't know Jesus. He knows Jesus is important, but he doesn't really know Jesus. He assumes Jesus doesn't know him or whatever it might be. And Jesus, before he even gets the answer, says, I'll be right over. But then, but then, the centurion replies. And he has a very unique reply. So I want to hear you kind of break that down a little bit. Because it's kind of like, sweet, let's have Jesus come over to my house. This is going to be great. But the centurion... The satyrian almost doesn't allow him to do it. And so break that down. What's happening for him? Right, right. So, I mean, this is, yeah, and this is even a Jesus being Emmanuel, right? He, <laughs> he promises his presence. And immediately, I, I think what the satyrian sees is, well, obviously, it's not what I think. He obviously sees himself as unworthy. He even says, like, I'm not worthy of that. And so this is a posture of, of reverence and awe towards Jesus. It's not just about, it's, some of this is his military background, right? And he understands authority. He talks about that. He, you know, he, he gets uh, rank. <laughs> he gets uh, who should be able to talk to who. And so that, that's informing his, dial, his, his you know, scene and his interaction with Jesus. Uh, but he is, he is genuinely in awe of this Jesus. Um, there must have been stories being told about who he is others speaking about him and uh he, he may not but it's important to note he may not have known much about the messiah in general the you know the one who is to come and the leper may have the leper may have seen some of these things but but he did not so he he says okay no no no, no. i i definitely am not worthy of that uh and uh, this may be general humbleness I don't know. Maybe he just didn't clean up around his house that day. <laughs> and it's kind of a mess over there. <laughs> and he's like, man, you know, if I'm going to have somebody of a greater stature than me, I should at least act it, you know, or something and tidy up a little bit. But I got, you know, this, this servant and he's usually the guy who does this. And so everything's in disarray right now. And, uh, you know, I, he's not ready, but Jesus doesn't care if he's ready. And this is an important aspect of the gospel. Like, you know, Jesus comes in spite of us. He's not waiting for us to be ready. He just comes. Mm -hmm. So we get a lot of pushback from the centurion. And, and we get pushback too. So this is important for us to see ourselves here. Uh, how do we resist Jesus being at work in our lives? How do we push back? They know Jesus. And we give lip service maybe like, oh, I'm unworthy of your help or something like that. But maybe we just kind of avoid him, avoid his word, avoid prayer, avoid the fellowship of the church, avoid 
uh, worship and, and so much more. Uh, but what we can see is, is, is that here he at least said, okay, you know, even if you just said something, I don't want to bother you. This is a, this is an aspect of respect. He's honoring it. He's like, I know that you actually don't even have to do that. So for him to see this, this is quite profound. I mean, he's not, he's not just trying to save face. He's not just trying to inconvenience Jesus. He, he sees something about Jesus that the others around him don't see necessarily. But he says, at your word, I know that, that it, he can be healed. Uh, and, and, I, and I get this because I can give a command and lots of things happen. So I see that at work, that through the word, uh, something happens. And this is Genesis 1 sort of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. God created through the word. It was through the word that all that happened. Uh, God, granted, God, you know, created out of nothing. <laughs> and uh, a general in an army or a centurion, uh, needs men to carry out the task and tools and things like that, but it can still happen just through a word. So he gets that. So yeah, it's a it's a fascinating dynamic of faith, and it makes you just think a little bit about how you know Jesus eating with sinners kind of a dynamic where you know <laughs> that he and and also when somebody comes to our house, it's an invitation. And there's sometimes we, we realize that you know we're not worthy to have this kind of person in our home, and Jesus respects the request, but it's not like uh, um, Jesus is like, well, I'm just not gonna come over then or something. Like he he definitely intercedes into this person's life, reminds us of our prayer life, how we should pray for others, and he recognizes the authority of Jesus and the power of Jesus in a way of knowing that while well, his will be done. So it's it's it, all these things brought together, how to relate to our own life. And we haven't gotten to the good part of what actually happens. I mean, we just yeah. gotten to the point where he's requested and right. Jesus says, yeah, sure. And he's like, well, I don't know if I want you in my house. Well, not that way, but I don't deserve to have you in my house, which none of us do, let's be honest. But yet Jesus well, still comes. And, yeah. and what, one thing one thing to point out with that is that I, 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 I saw a few commentators suggest that Jesus is actually asking him a question. Uh, like, okay. do you want me to come over uh, and, yeah. and, you know, it, it we don't want to, I love all, I love the ESV translation. I love 99% of translations, but it, uh, it, it's important to see that sometimes, you know, like in the original language, there's a little bit of nuance there that maybe we don't quite get to see, but that's, that's one of the, so Jesus asked him the question. So it's not totally out of, he's not being absolutely rude and saying no, <laughs> right. he is kind of responding. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's not being... He's not being rude to the person that he's bowing down to the authority of, you know, Jesus is that. But maybe that's a question that we should ask ourselves today is do we want Jesus to show up at our, at our door? Right. You know, do we want, do we want him in our lives? Do we uh, desire his help genuinely and his presence uh, every day? And that's a, um, hopefully that's the answer is yes, but it's important to just, you know, pray about that. Mm-hmm. But sometimes the answer is no for each of us. And as, and as you said, he, he comes even when we're not, quote, prepared, which is, uh, Lord, continue to work in our hearts. Verses, we'll continue on, verses 10 through 13. Now we find out the other shoe drops. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, no one in Israel, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the centurion, and to the centurion, Jesus said, "Go, 
Let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant that was healed, the servant was healed at that very moment. So it's it's kind of, I guess I don't know what you would expect at this point, but Jesus marvels. I mean, think about this. He marvels at this man's faith. And and then and then he kind of goes on from there um, and, and tells us some other things that's quite, uh, not quite maybe what you expect in this text. So break that down for us. Well, first of all, Jesus celebrates his faith. And what we get to see here is that the first two examples of faith after the calling of the disciples and the Sermon on the Mount is a leper and a century. You know, so we're already dealing with kind of a weird Catholic, and also, I guess, maybe arguably prior the Magi, you know, possibly in chapter two. So we get this Matthew who's intending this gospel to be read by by Jewish converts and, and people who are very accustomed to uh, laws of um, cleanliness and the Levitical law and things like that. But what we get to see here is, is Jesus welcoming in and celebrating the faith of a Gentile. This man's a Gentile. He's, he's, he's not a part of the in crowd. He's not somebody who has been around the church at all. So imagine if Jesus was in our midst and he's at our Bible study, and then some random person walks in, and they've never stepped foot in the door of any congregation whatsoever. And we see this interaction between him and Jesus, and all of a sudden Jesus is like, this is what faith is. Like, all of you people who said you believed your whole life, I want you to look at this guy. So it makes us a little bit uncomfortable, but what we get to see is that uh, simply because, and this is what he's talking about when he talks about uh, the um, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at, at table with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Well, the sons of the kingdom, so the so those who are a part of Israel, will be thrown into the outer darkness. So there's there's basically like you can claim genetic connection to Abraham, but that ain't gonna. That's not what my kingdom is about. It's not just about a blood connection and having the familial status with me. It's about trusting in me. It's about honoring my divinity and authority, and even that I'm willing to uh, help in your time of need. So so this is a lot of Jesus pointing to himself that, you know, just because, you know, and maybe to put it in a present-day context, it's like, just because your parents were Christian doesn't make you one. You know, just because you come from a family of Lutherans doesn't make you someone who believes in Jesus. That helps, <laughs> absolutely, to be raised in a home uh, where you get to hear the Word of God, and that is a good thing. Uh, but what Jesus is showing here is that we're called to trust in Him. We're called to uh, to bow down before Him and confess with our lips that He is Lord, that He is Almighty. And, and that's a tough thing to do. Um, even for those who have been around the church their whole life. And how easy that can be for us to lose sight of the, well, the basics of faith, you know, that it's, it's, it's Christ on the cross for you and looking to Christ and trusting in him in this daily walk that when we have somebody who is sick in our own lives to bring them in prayer, to, to serve those who, um, to help those who maybe can't help themselves, those kind of that kind of language to love our children, to be patient with our spouse, to to uh, to serve in in the church and to proclaim the gospel. I mean, all these things are quite simple, 
but how quickly we can lose sight of this. And he shows us that simplicity, but also the consequences. So I know for me, reading this, it kind of makes you take a step back and just say, okay, I need to repent because how often am I looking away from the main thing of faith? And the centurion is a wonderful reminder for us that we don't deserve Jesus to be in our lives, but by his grace, he comes to us and His healing. there's healing in his wings and the forgiveness of sins that we have from the cross. Any thoughts based on that? I mean, this is a very, I think, a very powerful thing for, for all of us on all, in all realms. Um, any other pastoral reflections as we look at this? You know, uh, the w- one other little tidbit from this section that I would want to point out is, is uh, how Jesus responds. And, and I guess we, we kind of jumped over that, but it, we don't get a lot of, we don't get a lot of pieces of scripture that speak about the, 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 the inner life of Jesus and his inner thoughts and emotions and reactions to things. Uh, we don't get much, <laughs> you know, we see, uh, you know, that he had compassion on the crowd and we see some of these things, not much. And here we see, we see that he actually marveled at this man's faith because this man got it and he wasn't immediately surrounded by it all the time. So I think that this is a, uh, this is a wonderful example for us in faith. If we want to know what faith actually looks like, it looks like this guy, the guy that we've been discounting. Um, if we're keeping track of the history of Israel, we've been keeping him far away from an example of faith, but he actually is it. So Jesus marvels at that, the internal reaction there. And this is also uh, in line with uh, Matthew really trying to stretch our, our minds as to how God is at work in the world through Jesus. That this really is, he closes the gospel, right, with, that this is for all nations and uh, reassures us with this presence in that, in the Great Commission. But here we get to see that, that you know, uh, that the invitation to faith, to his kingdom, is for all nations. And, and we can look at like Psalm 107 and Isaiah 43 to, to help us out with that, that, uh, you know, this is, God's kingdom is, is very uh, welcoming, inclusive, and that there are people that God welcomes that we might feel uncomfortable with. <laughs> and in fact, we are, might be those people that others feel uncomfortable with too. And uh, understanding our own, uh, you know, how our own unworthiness with this interim is, is important for us, each of us too. Let's continue on as we see Jesus working with the most unlikely of crowds, which I mean, this whole text brings us back that we are the most unlikely. You know, we are the ones that need his healing hand. And Jesus continues to do this, showing his power, authority, and what I would say, compassion for everybody. Verses 14 through 17. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, And he cast out spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Now here, it's almost, it's like the the first two, he's kind of breaking down the story. And here it's just like, boom, 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 boom. It's like just a rapid shooting that is is happening here. But let's begin with the mother-in-law. Any any thoughts on that? Uh, uh, Yeah, it can be. Could do a real deep dive there too. Um, it, 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 
always it's it's always good to bring Jesus to your family, especially your in-laws, folks. There so you that's, go. That's that's a good one. We can hold on to that. Uh, you know, I, I think in general, what we get to see here is that though this isn't Jesus' authority isn't um, isn't mentioned here, it's kind of assumed. So we get this kind of triad of of examples of Jesus's authority. But just kind of as you were saying, like I, I think what we see here is his authority here, his ability, and also his will, his desire to help us in our time of need so that his deeds match our needs. You know, he's, you know, he's dealing with uh, another person who maybe would be generally outcast uh, and kind of maybe tossed aside to somebody who has a fever, they're sick, they're hurting. Uh, We don't know necessarily if it was, you know, a, a terminal sort of a thing that she was sick. But Peter brings Jesus to her. You know, what he sees is, and, and this is kind of, I, I want us to almost see ourselves as Peter. And this is a shift that I think Matthew is making, where uh, we can see our own healing as a centurion and a leper. And then Peter, all of a sudden, he, he observes these things. And then he says, okay, who's hurting in my life? Who needs Christ? And I'm going to bring Christ to them. And I'm going to let him do what he does. Um, you know, I don't see a long sermon. I don't see him handing his mom like a Bible tract or, you know, like mm-hmm. a, he doesn't invite her to church. You know, he just brings Christ into the into that room and lets him have his way kind of there and do his thing, his authoritative, able, and willing so I, I think that that's kind of where we need to key in on is Peter. Is how do we respond to this? And we also see uh, his mother. How does she respond to being healed? You know, she served. Yeah. And that's, a, that's another, there's, there's a whole thing there too. You know, how do we respond to what Jesus has done in our lives? Do we just marvel in it and, you know, do let it just kind of fall to the floor? Uh, or do we live out, you know, the life that Jesus has given us? live on those new gospel legs. And I do, I do enjoy the, the, the kind of mystery that happens here. We have about three minutes in our time here, pastor, the mystery of the, the, so he goes on the list of those who are oppressed by demons, uh, those Mm -hmm. who cast out spirits with a word and heal those who were sick. So he just brings a very broad overview and then shows again, just like Matthew does, this was to fulfill what the Messiah was to be in case you're wondering this is the guy. This is a guy with power and authority, but his power and authority, as Dr. Gibbs reminded us at the beginning, he's a king, and the kingdom is here, and this king acts differently. And so, Pastor, as we look at all of these verses in the context of, obviously, Matthew, but also in modern-day ministry, how would you encourage our listeners with these words that we've heard today and what it means for us as people now in Christ? Uh, you know, I'll, I'll put two things right right in front of us. And and the first of which, I mean, not only all the stuff with healing and how God has touched us, but I, I think what we need to see is, uh, first of all, that Jesus is, what he does in our life is both spiritual and uh, physical, physical, tangible. You know, we could even say that, that the work that God does in our midst is both. And we can't dismiss either. We can't just say Jesus is all about helping people and healing and feeding and things like that and, and ignore the, the spiritual reality of, of the inner reality that's happening. And we can't make the air on the other side that Jesus is all about healing hearts or something like that and forgiving sins. 
but but that there is a an inner and an outer reality to the kingdom of God, and and so we we need to hang out there and have that in our eyes. But but then the other thing is for each of us as we engage stories like this, um, and just as you pointed out, what Matthew is doing is pointing us to the last day. He's pointing us to the kingdom that is to come. You know, God's kingdom has come in Jesus, but it will come again. You know, He will come again, and He will make all things new. And if you want a glimpse of that, a foretaste of that, a little hors d'oeuvre, a moose-bouche of that, then what we can see here is is it's going to look like no more disease, no more oppression, no more outcast, you know, no more feeling alone, no more uh, suffering in our midst, that that this is what God's kingdom is doing. So so this this sort of story, like, it always brings me hope. You know, the thing that what Jesus is up to is so much better than what I see before my eyes. So I'm going to cling tightly to him in the midst of whatever mess I'm facing. Pastor Todd Niebling of St. John Lutheran Church in Oxnard, California, given us God's strong word from Matthew chapter 8. Pastor Niebling, thank you for bringing us his gifts. My pleasure. Saints of our Lord, it is us once again to look to Christ for his compassion, knowing he is fully powerful and authoritative in our lives. But yet we realize that we don't deserve in it, but yet he comes into our lives, brings his healing, and we see it all through the forgiveness that we have in Christ, not only now, but also into eternity. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands. <music>